Well, the focus of our service, even though we're not quite at Easter yet, uh, the, the intention for this service was always that we were going to be looking forward to Easter. And of course, the focus of Easter is the death and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, today, uh, I'm going to focus just for a few moments on what is the, what is the meaning of the death of, of Christ. And if we think that today's experimental service is worth repeating, then perhaps when Easter recess is over, we can have another service like this, uh, focusing on the resurrection of Christ and, and what that means. But for today, I, um, I want to start thinking um, about the meaning of the death of Christ uh, in the perhaps a slightly um, unlikely, somewhat unlikely place, which is um, just to talk to you about the KLF. Now, uh, <clears throat> some of you deeply cool and perhaps older people will, uh, will be acquainted with the great work of the KLF. Uh, for those who are not, they were um, uh, an acid house group in the late 80s and early 90s. And um, by the early 90s, they were one of the, the biggest acts in the whole world. And um, in 1991, with Justified and Ancient, they were the biggest selling singles act in, in 18 countries, I think. And uh, at that moment, at the height of their success, they stunned their fans by quitting the music industry for good. And uh, at the same moment, they deleted their entire back catalogue of, of music. And then shortly after that, they pulled one last shocking stunt uh, for which they have since become more famous for than their actual music. On the 23rd of August 1994 they withdrew one million pounds in cash which was the last remaining money generated from their record sales and they took it to an abandoned boathouse on the remote Scottish island of Jura. There in this boathouse they made a huge pile of all the money uh, all in 50 pound notes and they burnt the whole lot of it. They burnt one million pounds. It took two hours for the whole lot to go up in smoke. And the question that continues to be asked of this event, even to the present day is, what was the meaning of it? And the KLF themselves in various interviews since have never given an answer to that question. So people have speculated, was it a great artistic statement uh, against the shallow and frivolous world of the pop industry? Was it a publicity stunt uh, designed to shock people? Or was it, frankly, just an entirely meaningless act and a tragic waste of one million quid? Well, that's certainly been the majority view, that last one, uh, ever since. And I say this um, by way of introduction in terms of what is the meaning uh, of the death of Christ? Because I think a lot of people today would say that the meaning of the death of Christ is just as obscure as what took place in that Jura boathouse now 25 years ago. There's just no meaning in it at all. All that can be said with confidence is that the death of Christ is a a tragic waste of a, of a great inspiring life that was cut short far too soon. 
But in this uh, account of Jesus' death in Mark's Gospel that Alison's just read, there are three things that happen as Jesus dies that tell us the meaning of his death. And so I just want to reflect um, on them with you, with you now. And they are the darkness, the cry from the cross, and the curtain that gets ripped in two. The darkness, the cry, and the curtain. So it's verses 33 to 39, uh, the end of that reading that we've just had. So first, the darkness. Verse 33. As Jesus died, darkness fell over the land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. That's from midday until three o'clock in the afternoon. But what was the meaning of this darkness? In the Bible as a whole, darkness is always a sign of God's judgment. And the sobering and unavoidable message of the Bible from start to finish is that human sin and wrongdoing matter to God and, he, and that he will judge them. And because he's a God of justice, he can't simply ignore injustice and wrongdoing in the world as if they don't matter. And when we think about it, this accords with our own deepest instincts. We also care about the wrongdoing that we see in the world and, and we want it, we cry out for it to be dealt with. But the problem for us is that the wrongdoing we see out there in the world actually runs right through our own hearts too. If we want God to judge the world, then the awkward reality is that he must judge us too. And yet, and yet, look what is happening here as Jesus dies on the cross in the darkness, the darkness of God's judgment which should by rights be coming down on our sin, is coming down on Jesus instead of us. It's amazing. So the darkness at the cross is the first sign of the meaning of Christ's death. As he dies, he is bearing God's judgment on sin in our place. That's the darkness. The second is uh, verse 34, the cry of Jesus from the cross. These famous words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And notice that he doesn't cry out to those people physically responsible for crucifying him, those who are around him, my enemies, my torturers, for, for example. No, he, he cries out to God himself. He says, my God, my God. He's, he's experiencing not just the most terrible physical suffering, but he's experiencing the spiritual suffering of being forsaken by God. The darkness that surrounds the cross shows us that the judgment of God is, is falling upon Christ on the cross instead of us. And the cry from the cross shows us what that judgment consists of. It, it's to be forsaken by God. Many of you will have uh, I guess, read the book or seen the film Touching the Void. It's that story of um, the two uh, climbers, Simon Yates and Joe Simpson. In 1985, they climbed um, the Sula Grande mountain in the Peruvian Andes, uh, but on their descent, they, get, they were caught in a violent storm. Joe fell, uh, was seriously injured, and was left hanging over a cliff 
uh, just on the end of a rope that was attached to Simon. Simon, because they're in the middle of this storm, he, didn't, he had no idea whether his friend was alive or dead. And he was gradually being pulled over this cliff himself. So he made the decision to cut the rope to save himself. Joe then fell uh, way down into a deep crevasse in the middle of this storm in the wilderness of the, and of the Andes, totally abandoned and on his own. And it's a long story what happens after this, but incredibly, he survived. And he, he said this in a, in a later interview. My abiding memory is of an appalling sense of loneliness, a sense of being abandoned. What he experienced was a, a, an experience of, of, of deep forsakenness. So imagine then how much more extreme Jesus, the Son of God, who has forever existed in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit. As he dies on the cross, he's experiencing the utter forsakenness of God's judgment upon the sin of the whole world, past, present, and future. But why? I mean, the obvious question is why? Jesus, as we see in the Gospels, Jesus had lived a perfect life. He clearly didn't deserve to be forsaken by God in judgment. And the answer that the Bible gives is that Jesus was forsaken by God instead of us, in, in our place. Now, every other religion will tell us that the way to get right with God is based on what we do. And Christianity turns that completely on its head. It says we can know the love and forgiveness of God only because of what God has done for us. The darkness and the cry from the cross show God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, willingly being forsaken by God the Father instead of us. And just to stop and think about that for a moment, in, in life in general, and particularly in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic that we're in the middle of at the moment, what's happening when Jesus dies on the cross tells us something of absolutely vital importance about the God who we see in Jesus Christ. This God is full of unimaginable love for us. There is so much about suffering in, in life that we cannot explain. But because of what we see Christ doing here on the cross, of God literally breaking himself apart for us, we can never be in any doubt that God loves us with a power that none of us can even begin to comprehend. And that's something really important for us to remember and take to heart in the midst of this situation that we're in in particular. So we know from the death of Christ that this God is an unimaginably loving God. But the question is, is he, is he also powerful to save us? It's all very well being loving, but is he powerful? And to answer that question, we need to look at the third event that takes place as Jesus dies. And that's, that's the curtain, verse 38. As Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And the curtain 
separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was was immensely thick. It was the thick of as thick as the span of a man's hand. And the message that this curtain sent was very clear. There was to be total separation between God and his people because of their sin. God was holy and perfect and no sinful person could come into his presence. And of course, this, this idea of separation is very much in our minds um, at the moment as well with what's going on. We're separated from one another in order to avoid spreading the virus of COVID-19 to one another. And sin, sin in the Bible could be described as a virus. It spoils and corrupts everything. It separates people from each other. And also it separates people from God, from the God who made them. And what Jesus does on the cross is he, he absorbs all this virus, this virus of sin into himself and out of us so that we no longer need to be separated from God. At the precise moment of Jesus' death, the curtain is ripped from top to bottom in the temple, showing that the way back into God's presence is now possible because Jesus has successfully taken away this virus of sin from us. And I wonder if this just speaks to us all the more powerfully in this present moment, because this, this pandemic has exposed and reminded us of just how vulnerable we are. We so naturally go along in normal life thinking that we're invincible, but many people are afraid of becoming ill now and they're afraid of the idea of, of dying. And in the face of this fear and uncertainty, wouldn't it be amazing to know that your very life is safe in the hands of a God who is not only unimaginably loving, but is also a, a powerful God who is able to keep us and save us. Once we understand the meaning of the darkness, the cry and the curtain, then the death of Christ is, is no longer just a tragic waste. Instead, it becomes the ultimate cure for life itself, whether in wealth or in poverty, in health or in sickness, in life or in death. The most precious thing that any human being can ever know the love and the forgiveness of the God who made us, both now in eternity, we can possess and know that gift, the most precious thing we could ever know. And so this Easter, I want us just to reflect on, do we know, do we know how precious this gift is? Have we forgotten how precious it is? There was at least one person at the death of Christ who could see how precious this gift is, and that's the Roman centurion. This man was a, a hardened career soldier. He would have killed many people himself. He would have watched many men die, but he'd never seen a man die like this. He'd witnessed that supernatural darkness. He'd witnessed Jesus' cry of forsakenness 
on the cross as he died. And he didn't know the full significance of what had just happened, but he'd seen enough to know that this death was not just another tragic waste of a human life. He knew enough to, to exclaim in that moment, truly this man was the son of God and that he had seen him die on this cross. So let's pray now uh, for ourselves this Easter that we, we might follow the example of this centurion and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death in our place on the cross, the most precious cure of all in life and in death. Let's pray together now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came to take uh, your judgment that should have been ours upon himself, that he was forsaken on the cross in our place. And we pray uh, now for, for each of us that in this particular moment, we pray that also for our families and our friends, that in this moment of vulnerability, uh, we would know that the precious gift, this precious, this precious cure of our sin, that Jesus took our sin, he absorbed it into himself on the cross as he died. So that we might know you both in this life and in eternal life. Pray for each of us now that this would be a deep comfort for us that by your spirit you would enable us to see the Lord Jesus in all his loving power, see him afresh in all his glory. That um, you might encourage us today with this truth and you might give us opportunities to share this wonderful precious gift with with others at this extraordinary time. We pray, we pray that you would help us to receive it like uh, that first centurion did, and for many others who we know to receive it in the same way. And we pray in, in Jesus' name, amen.